Hey folks, I'm Doug Thornell and welcome to The Electables. As always, I'm joined by my partner in crime, the super talented Adrian Elrod. And today we're going to be talking about how these campaigns put together these big rallies and events that have become staples of all of the rollouts that we've seen so far. From Amy Klobuchar's event in the freezing cold and snow in Minnesota to the big uh, 22,000 person rally that Kamala Harris's team put together in Oakland. There's a real art behind putting these events together and there's no one who can help us. There's no better person to break this down than our guest, Alex Hornbrook, who is the director of operations for Democracy Forward, but before that was the director of scheduling in advance for the Hillary for America campaign. He also served as the director of scheduling for Vice President Joe Biden in the White House. And he worked in the scheduling and advance departments of Hillary Clinton's primary campaign and the Obama-Biden uh, campaign during the 2007 and 2008 cycle. So Alex is a real expert in the field of advance and putting together these very complicated events. Uh, and we're really lucky to have him. Um, Alex, welcome to the Electables. We're, Thank uh, you. Welcome, uh, Alex. Nice to be here. So happy you're it's here. Great to have you here. Um, so uh, I'll, I'll start. Uh, how'd you get started? In this uh, in this field, it was like I think so many other people in politics and definitely in the scheduling and advance field, a total chance. Uh, this was like not something that I you know kind of knew about or aspired to. But um, I was uh, when I was in college here in D.C. I went to George Washington University and got involved, started interning, and then working for then Senator Hillary Clinton um, when she was a senator from New York. And uh, I sort of just stuck around, uh, never left. We transitioned into the 2008 presidential campaign, and my my boss at the time left to go just pursue other things. Uh, so I was kind of left without a boss and a job, but I just kept showing up to the office every day <laughs> and figured, you know, at least I know how to like work the phones and like, you know, when the UPS guy comes and something, when you're starting out, like those skills are very valuable. Young, young college kids out there listening to this, keep this in mind. <laughs> yeah, just keep <laughs> showing show up. Show up, exactly. And do the work. And then uh, they hired uh, an amazing woman named Kim Mulstry to run the scheduling and advance operation for Kim's that. Kim's great. Kim is wonderful. Kim and amazing. I worked together years ago in uh, um, the yeah. house. Just spoke to her this morning, and she's um, yeah, like a big sister to me now. And at the time, so they hired her to run this operation, but had not um, you know kind of advanced to the point of actually hiring her a staff. And so uh, after a few weeks of us both kind of wondering what the heck was going on, uh, I remember very vividly a um, you know an HR person pulled us into this tiny little kitchen uh, that we had in the original campaign office that was like filled with, you know, boxes of t-shirts or something and said, uh, okay, Alex, you, uh, you need a boss, Kim, you need a team. So uh, get together and figure it out. <laughs> and we were like, oh, all right. Uh, and so uh, we started from there and, and the rest was history. Kind of never got out of it. And as the three of us have worked on quite a few campaigns, um, that's kind of where the real bonding I think takes place. I mean, you're building these friendships that will last you for the rest of your life, but you're mm -hmm. also, um, when you're in the trenches and you're sort of forced to make something work um, with, you know, little staff or with little information or little oversight, that's where the, you know, some, of the, some of the big, I think, friendships and bonding takes place. Absolutely. So, Alex, what I think is really fascinating and what I wanted to have you on, one of the reasons why we both wanted to have you on today is we really wanted to get into the nitty gritty of how, how you put together a rally, how you put together a big event. So maybe you could sort of talk about I don't know, one of the big events that we did for Hillary, whether it was the June 6th clinching mm -hmm. the nomination evening, whether it was something that yeah. happened at the convention, maybe it was the first rally in Iowa, but sort of take us through, give us like a, a you know, a 60 second snapshot of what it takes to get from, you know, the beginning of starting a rally or a big event to the end. Sure. Well, I think, you know, for one thing, 
no two events or trips are alike. And it's kind of funny because people always, not always, but often ask, well, what's your process? How does it work? I'm like, I wish there was a process that <laughs> you could apply to any candidate or organization that would work every time. You mean there's no advanced manual? It's weird. Well, there have been, yeah. Oh, <laughs> really? Back, okay. Yeah, we can send you one. But uh, no, but in terms <laughs> of the process of how, you know, uh, something, you know, gets gets created, it's, it really is different every time. And it often depends um, for something like, you know, what Doug was talking about with, uh, the Oakland rally for Senator Harris or our, you know, launch, um, in 2016, there's a lot of people who have a lot of views, uh, and feelings that need to be taken into consideration. Um, and once you're on your like 37th town hall meeting in New Hampshire, that, you know, that's still important, but at that point you're kind of just like, all right, give me a gym with four walls and heat and a, you know, decently clean bathroom. Right. Right. <laughs> um, but when you're starting out and you're doing these really, really high profile events, you know, they're really important because you especially with the launches, there's one of the few opportunities, maybe even the only opportunity, particularly for a less well-known candidate, where you have virtually guaranteed heavy media coverage and you are actually in control of what is happening. As of, I mean, you're never totally in control, but you know, to the extent that you are making the decision about where to go and what to do, um, you, that is within your, your discretion as opposed to some of your other more high-profile high moments like the debates or whatever where you're just kind of thrust in there and you, know, you kind of hope your candidate does well, but you, you don't really control the atmospherics of it. Um, so for something big and high profile like that, there's going to be a lot of people who have views on, you know, where you should do it. I mean, that's like the most fundamental question, right? And so a lot of these candidates that want to use this opportunity to really convey who they are, because they're introducing themselves to the electorate for the first time. And so that's why you most often see people going back to their home, hometown, home base, like Oakland or Senator Harris or, or Minnesota. Um, you know, we did it we had sort of a totally different challenge in 2016, as Adrian knows, because there was nobody on earth who had, you know, never heard of Hillary Clinton. So uh, everybody knew our candidate, had an opinion about her. And so it was really um, a different kind of challenge and a different equation about how we were, how we wanted to, you know, introduce this campaign to the world. And so, you know, she felt very strongly about being in New York. Um, and, you know, she ultimately felt strongly, um, and I think a lot of us agreed that um, it was important for her to be on Roosevelt Island at Four Freedoms Park. And she really, you know, um, hearkened back to the legacy of both Franklin and Eleanor Roosevelt um, and all of the great, you know, Democratic presidents that have that have followed them and the legacy that they've left and that she wanted to carry on as, as president. Um, so you're really kind of telling your story through the the selection of this venue and, and how you set it up and who's involved. And I just want to build on that really quickly. Speaking of Roosevelt Island, when we <laughs> announced in, was it June? June, June yeah, of 2015. It was a very hot day. It was warm. It was very warm outside. How do you take into account? I mean, when do you decide, you know, based on weather, when you're having an event outside, how do you decide? When do you d decide we've got to do something indoors? Or we're just going to take oh, the risks. Maybe talk talk us through kind of the decision making process behind what to do when inclement weather, whether it's heat or too much rain or even in some chances snow, yeah. although that can play to your favor, like we saw with Amy Klobuchar. Maybe give us a snapshot of how those decisions are made. Sure. Well, it's, I mean, it's obviously um, a subjective judgment call because weather is one thing you can't control and cannot, you know, super reliably predict. Um, but it's all about having backup plans. I mean, you get a Whenever any event you do, whether it's your big launch or anything, you've got to have a plan and a backup plan and a backup plan to the backup plan. What was the backup plan for the Roosevelt Island it event? It was, uh, perhaps prophetically, the Javits Center. Oh, I knew you were going to huh. say that. I remember this. And the probably one of the most stressful moments, actually, of the entire campaign was the night before that launch event. Me and Greg Hale, who was, uh, you all know, yep. is an advanced production legend, Mm -hmm. um, was the director of production for uh, for Hillary for America. We were sitting in the elevator bank lobby because it was like the only place we could get away from other people. And the night before the launch, it was 
the forecast literally 50-50. I was either going to be beautiful or it was a 50% chance of thunderstorms. Oh, Thunder and lightning. On We were going to be on an island in the East River with a bunch of people on metal bleachers and flagpoles. And we just looked at each other like, holy shit. Like, what are we going to do? Like, I could I at least get like 55% chance of thunderstorms, like something to get, you know, tips. Right. Um, and obviously there's a lot of people who are involved in making that in that decision. But, you know, they're looking to, you know, the people in our in our position to, you know, make a recommendation about, hey, I mean, hey you have to be worried about like what is safe, right? And if you're going to be outdoors in inclement weather, like you have to be concerned about the safety of the people who are, who are attending. Um, but as long as you can get over that, you know, kind of hump, then it's really just a, a judgment call and an optics call. And okay, yeah, it might rain and people might get wet. Well, will be people be pissed? Will the reporters be cranky? <laughs> They're standing out there in the rain and that affect their coverage. Um, but there isn't, you know, like a, like a magical formula in the, you know, scheduling an advanced manual about if this percent of rain, then do this. Um, you really just have to kind of go with your gut. And so uh, Greg and I said, oh, no way, we, we got to go for it. Uh, and so we, you know, recommended to, you know, uh, Secretary Clinton, Humavity, and Robbie that we go forward and rolled the dice. And I think I was up at five o'clock that morning just pacing around my apartment looking out the window every five minutes like, is it raining, is it raining, is it raining? And of course, it turned out to be a gorgeous day and we totally lucked out. I think if uh, it had been that gorgeous day and she had, you know, pulled her car into the Javits Center, Greg and I would have probably both resigned on the spot because it would have been it so awful. Day. I also just want to add that while the rest of us were sweating, I mean, I can't even begin to describe how hot I was. <laughs> Secretary was a, Clint was just walking around yeah, like, you no know, problem. it was perfectly fine. Yep. There was not one bead of sweat on her, Never. On her face. It was amazing. She does not sweat. <laughs> um, so who's on the advanced team? Like, obviously, you have an advanced lead, you have mm -hmm. a press lead, you have someone dealing with the crowd, things mm -hmm. like that. But take us through, who's yeah. on the team? When do you guys get start? When did you get started with the Roosevelt Island event? Like, how many days before the actual event? Yeah, that one, you know, was a slightly special case since it was such a big, high-profile event. We were probably working on that one for, you know, a month. But, um, you know, your normal kind of campaign rally, policy speech, sure. whatever, you know, you're going to be in there for anywhere from a couple of days to maybe a week. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously campaigns are very uh, dynamic. Things change a lot. So like in your best case scenario, you might get five, six days, but sometimes you're dropped in, you know, 48 hours out and just figure it out. Um, so that that can totally vary, but you have, and, and it'll range from like right now, you know, there are campaigns, they're using advanced people, but they're not huge teams. By the time you get to the general election and you're a nominee and doing five huge rallies every day and OTRs and interviews and everything else, you could have a, you know, eight, 10 person advanced team out in a particular city or, or area to handle all that kind of thing. And that consists of the roles that you mentioned. You have a lead advance who's generally a very experienced, you know, person who's been doing this for a couple of cycles, um, who is kind of overseeing the entire team and every event that happens within that city or stop or however they've, we've defined it on the schedule. You have a press lead who's responsible for all the press logistics, which is also, you know, really, I think, under not understood very well and also undervalued because you have obviously huge talented communications teams on the comm staff like what Adrian mm -hmm. did spokespeople and comm strategy messaging strategists but then there are also I mean, we have this whole army of people under the advanced department who are responsible for making sure that all these reporters actually get where they're supposed to go and we've got vans for them and power and lunch I mean reporters got to eat everybody's got to eat you know um, and so and their job is not necessarily to talk to the media but their right. job is to make sure the media is very happy very comfortable they can get their proper shot, the proper, you know, footage they need. Mm -hmm. They're responsible for making sure what you see on MSNBC and CNN when events are covered live is the shot that everybody wants to see. So right. it's a very, I, I agree with you. I think it's a very underutilized and underappreciated, um, you know, role on the advanced. Very team. few pictures that you actually see of a, of a presidential candidate when things get into full swing are by accident. 
Sure. Know, someone has thought through that image that you see in the newspaper or on Twitter or television, whatever, and that person, you know, generally speaking, that candidate is in that position, whether, you know, that place or like literal actual standing position because someone has thought through what that's going to look like on camera and made sure that that's something that we want to communicate um, visually. And then uh, to round out the team, you're going to have a site lead um, who's responsible for everything that happens within one particular site, be that a a big rally or a you know small house party or something and then depending on you know kind of the complexity and stage of the campaign you may have additional people who are responsible for the crowd or for the motorcade when you get to that point of having you know secret service protection and a huge number of vehicles you might have someone who's responsible the ron the uh, stands for rest overnight or remain overnight it's a, a big you know debate in the uh, advanced community <laughs> but uh you know when you have when you again you get to the point of a general election you have a big, huge traveling party, you get the candidate, you've got maybe their family, maybe their staff, the traveling press corps, whatever. So you could have someone who goes in who's solely responsible for making sure that, you know, the hotel, you know, exists and is ready and everything is taken care of. And um, so there's a whole, you know, suite of, of roles that all kind of work together to make these things work. I think on that note, by the way, I think it's interesting because people, different advanced people sort of develop different levels of expertise, right? Mm -hmm. There are people who are Experts in RONs, yeah. right? As mm -hmm. Experts in rest overnight yeah. or remain overnight. There are people who are experts in the motorcade process, yeah. which, you know, is, is something that you learn, um, you know, along the way. So you kind of find, obviously, there are people who are expert leads, people who are expert um, press leads. Mm -hmm. It's just interesting how, you know, and people a, sort of develop a skill yeah. set that's pertinent to their particular role on that team. Um, so tell us about, Alex, the best event you have oh ever put goodness. together. If you were to pick, you know, and I know you have many, I'm sure, but if you could, if you were to pick one event, what would that one be that you really Gosh. just loved? That Roosevelt Island one was really special. That was pretty fantastic. Uh, both from an actual, like, event execution standpoint, the press and just the kind of, you know, personal, emotional component to it. Um, that one was pretty phenomenal. What about um, June 6th? Also pretty phenomenal. Good point. Um, I would be remiss. Greg would kill me if I didn't say, well, we probably should have spent a little more on lighting. But other than that, it was it was pretty awesome. Um, and it was that that uh, greenhouse in Brooklyn was a really cool site. Uh, it's always interesting and fun when you kind of are able to utilize spaces that people don't traditionally think about uh, or expect. You know, everyone expects like, oh, yeah, we're gonna go to the rally in the high school gym. Uh, but to be able to use a kind of different or creative or unique space. Um, is always really fun and so that that was cool and obviously the emotional resonance of that was really was really neat um mm -hmm. and she was you know to see it was david muir i think right who took her up to look out over the crowd yes. for the first time yes. before going out i mean can't beat that that was pretty fantastic so what we all have had um even though you're fantastic at what you do we've all had some embarrassing mm -hmm. moments or events that we would regret i can remember um my first my, my first job was on the Gore campaign, and that was in 99. And I was an organizer. I started out on uh, in Iowa. And that's actually where I met, met Greg Hale and sort of learned about the whole um, advanced world. There, there were actual teams in Iowa. There was just Iowa-specific advanced teams. Mm -hmm. uh, but I ultimately moved to – worked in Missouri. And uh, I was putting together this event. We say Missouri in Arkansas. Oh, okay. Well, right. <laughs> we're not in Ar Arkansas, though. That's true. Um, so I, I was putting together this event. It was a it was an endorsement press conference on the steps of the Capitol in Jeff City uh, for Al Gore. Gore wasn't going to be there, but it was all the state legislators. I got all these endorsements, had everything lined up, had the podium set up, like you know, great shot on the you know with the with the Capitol in the backdrop. And um, but the Gore campaign forgot to send out a press advisory, 
Key step. So I had all these members on the front, on the steps of this Capitol, and there was no media there. And I was just like, it was one of those moments where you just want to like, you know, you just want to go hide. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just curious, like, what well, what do you, you know, what, is there an event like that that you remember that? A big one, well, or a big category of of goof like that, like the forgetting to send out the press release that always made me want to curl up and die, is when you're scheduling something. I spent much more uh, time also in the office as a scheduler um, than on the road as an advanced person. And, and in the scheduling world, the biggest I think mistake you can possibly make is mixing up your time zones. And mm, that oh has God. been the root of a number of, I mean, when like the candidate shows up or doesn't show up and everyone else does because you, you know, deleted the C and put in the E, uh, it, it is like, just makes you want to vomit. I and, can't even, I can't even. Or like they're on the airplane, yeah. like forgetting that you're the mm. Michigan. For, for some reason, everybody, including myself for a long time, thinks Michigan is in central time. It's not. Newsflash, you better check because Michigan's you know in Eastern time. I, Tennessee, watch out because that line Indiana's runs right divided, through. Indiana's exactly. divided. Yeah, oh, that one little screwy county. And yep. is it Gary where that is? And, yeah. So. Oh, I mean, that has been the, really the source <laughs> of the source of a lot of consternation and almost firings, I think. For oh gosh, and I cannot even imagine. Um, so, Alex, one final question for you. Um, who, and I know that you, you know, you're – you're not involved. You're not working on any campaigns mm-hmm. right now. But in terms of rollouts and announcements, who has really impressed you? Maybe not the one who's impressed you the most, but just in general, who who are the one or two folks who have really impressed you as, as somebody with all of your experience in this realm um, in terms of their announcements and their rollout strategy? I think, um, as I know you guys have discussed, the Harris announcement was really top-notch in terms of... 22,000 people in Oakland with little time to build, right? Little, but they were very smart about um, the fact that they did the actual announcement on Good Morning America, you know, I don't, what, four or five days ahead of time, and so they got all sorts of attention, and then I think you've talked about, you know, kind of did one rolling, you know, positive story into another over the course of a couple of days, which gave them a couple of days to build the crowd. People right. For Oakland, so by the time they got there, you know, they had um, they had a really impressive crowd. So that was really awesome um, and, and well done. And the other one Doug mentioned, I mean, I really, I will admit, I thought it was totally insane when I heard that Amy Klobuchar was going to do this event outside. We all did. In a yeah. There's no way this like, is going to work out. crazy. I know people in Minnesota are all hearty and everything, but what if somebody gets frostbite at their event? Like, that's it. That's crazy. But, I mean, they did it, and they did it really well. They they For what they decided to do, they executed it as well as you could. And I think, you know, which is kind of the key thing. Do you think there was a heater there for her because I, I sure hope so. I, I was thinking about that because she was turning, you know, she couldn't wear gloves right. because she was turning, like turning her speech, yeah. right? Turning the pages to her speech. So I just think the fact that she was able to make it through that yeah, there event, must have been I mean, a space because not only, was, not only were your hands probably freezing, but also just like talking in 20 degree right. weather without even look coming across as if you're you know, stumbling over mm-hmm. your words. Uh, I, I thought that was really impressive. And what that accomplished that you kind of always want to keep in mind when you're building a big event like this is that you have multiple audiences, right? There's the people there and the people on, who may watch it on TV, hear it, and also people who just see a picture or watch it with the TV on mute. And in that case, you know, if you watched the speech, it was a good speech and a cool event and interesting. But also if you just saw a muted television or saw still a photograph of it, you looked at her and said, wow, that's hardcore. Like, you know, I'm impressed by well, her. Well, and that, what, what I also think is just so um, fantastic when watching all of these candidates do their rollouts who have announced so far is there's no right or wrong way to do this, right? right? But you have to sort of capitalize on what you have. And I think Amy Klobuchar knew, look, I'm not going to be able to build a crowd of 22,000 people mm-hmm. in Minnesota, but I, I am going to show 
you know, the Mississippi River backdrop. Right. That's symbolic to me. I think she was standing uh, near a bridge, that the bridge that it had, had collapsed. collapsed yeah. And so that was sort of like played into mm-hmm. her infrastructure uh, message. And, you know, I'm not going to try to crowd build, but I'm going to be out, in, out here in really cold yeah. weather outside to show my grit. And that's yeah. what I think these candidates have been able to do so far is there's no right or wrong, wrong way to do this, but you obviously need to capitalize on your strengths and not perhaps a weakness, which might be right. crowd building. Yeah. And Castro did the same thing where he went back to his home neighborhood right. in San Antonio outside the church he was baptized in and his mom, who's an activist, introduced him and everything. So you really kind of yeah lean into to your, your story and, and what you have to offer. So if I'm a uh, 21-year-old, 22-year-old just out of college, how do I break into the advanced world. Well, I'm so glad you asked, Doug, because um, a number Teen of- this up for you. Yeah, a number of um, veteran advanced folks led by another Doug, our friend Doug Landry, um, have sort of organized a big uh, training opportunity March uh, 8th and 9th, a big advanced camp. And so you can go, we actually have the website advancedcamp.org. I think the registration is open until February 28th. So hopefully this airs before then. Um, oh, well. But if not, you know, email it, whatever. Um, sure. We'll, we'll get you in. Um, so it'll be a, a Friday evening and an all-day Saturday. Um, assembled a, a great uh, lineup of experienced advanced folks who have done this for the Clinton campaign, the Sanders campaign, the Obamas, the Bidens, a whole you know kind of spectrum. What can and, they expect to learn? And they'll expect to learn the big picture of you know what advance is from the you know uh, optics and big picture stuff down to the nitty gritty technical stuff, um, and come away with a basic set of skills such that you know they can get sent on a trip and, you know, actually kind of know what they're talking about a little bit. And I mean, like anything else, you have to do it to really learn it and, and, and figure it out. But we'll make sure that you at least kind of speak the language and have the basic tools to go. And we'll have a um, like a resume bank and folks can get directed. Hopefully we'll even have some of the advanced directors from the declared campaigns uh, there in person. That's fantastic. Yeah. It, working as an advanced person on a campaign is, is great. It's great. I mean, it's a lot of fun. So go to advanced camp. Learn from the best. That's yes. right. Alex, wow. thank you so much for thank being you. here. We really appreciate really you joining fun. us today. Thanks. Bye. For Adrian Elrod, I'm Doug Thornell. This has been The Electables. We'll see you next time.